really interesting concepts. And as we are reminded this Sunday, the Sunday of peace, the second Sunday of Advent, the peace candle is lit. We light hope first, then we light the peace candle, but also traditionally in some circles, it's the candle of the angels, which we will get to in just a little bit. The peace is something that seems to be fleeting, something that seems to be otherworldly in moments like this. Yet, as we prepare for Christmas, and that's what Advent means, preparing for the coming of the Lord, we are reminded of things that we need to be reminded every week. Hope, but peace. As you saw on that video, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Conflict isn't always a bad thing. But peace is a restoring of wholeness. And when Christ says, I come that you may have peace, I give my peace to you. He wasn't talking about there wasn't going to be any conflict in the world. He said, actually, he went on to say shortly thereafter, in this world you will have trouble. You will have conflict. But take heart. I have overcome the world. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You are whole in Christ. You can experience the peace of Christmas. Even if you're in the midst of conflict this morning. And maybe that's when we appreciate it most. It is when we are in the midst of conflict. And so here, I want to get us into scriptures as we look at the messengers of Christmas. And as we look to go in, but I first want to, it may seem odd that I'm going to start here, but I think we do. I want to know, and you don't need to say it out loud, what do you fear? What what kind of uh, gets you and you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. Daniel and I, uh, after Thanksgiving, we were spending some one-on-one time together, and we watched the next installment of the Harry Potter movies. Which one was it? Uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Which is number what? Three. Three. So we're only three and we were going to go to number four until we saw that it was three and a half hours long, <laughs> and at that point in time, it was already what time in the morning? One o'clock. One o'clock. And I think I told him something like, I may not be that old, but I'm old enough to know that ain't going to work. But we, we enjoy that. It's, uh, he's read all the books, and, and I realize some of you have opinions on whether or not uh, that's appropriate, but we and I are having, he and I are having a good conversation about it. And there's, in that movie, the number uh, three, Prisoner of Azkaban, there's a time when the students are, are, are asked to think of the thing they fear most in order to try to tackle it. Because the reality is that sometimes until we understand what we truly Fear, and until we face our fears, there cannot be any peace about it. There is no hope sometimes. And, and so we sometimes have to know what we fear not, as we will get to be controlled by our fear. But in order to let the Prince of Peace said, I can overcome that one. 
so I'm just going to give maybe some examples that you may have this morning. Some fear, sickness, and death. And to some extent, that's a natural thing. And death is an awful thing. As I prepare again this week for another, you know, graveside, it's just a graveside. As I prepare again, I, I have been, and, and I think we have been bombarded with death upon death upon death. And you know what? That should remind us this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Some of those deaths have been tragic. Some of those have been, in my opinion, preventable. But all of them are awesome. All of them are a reminder that this world is not okay. That this world, and we need redeemed. We should never pray for the death of our enemies. I have heard someone say recently that uh, they hope, uh, based on a theory they had, that uh, that a person would, would get a sickness twice and doubly bad than anybody else. And I thought, whoa, I sure hope that person saying it's not a believer. We ought never wish sickness and death even on our enemy. Because when death comes to a person on earth, it is their final chance. They no longer have a chance to respond to the Prince of Peace and the light of hope. That's never. Supposedly. That's why we, as Christians, have been known over the years and rightfully so as soul life. Because we know what matters. But some fear sickness and in death and everything in between. Because that changes everything, doesn't it? Some of you know. Some of you know how tragic it does. Some, though, they don't fear sickness or death, but they may fear the loss of freedom or the loss of normalcy. I've seen this a lot. We're afraid that if we give an inch of hope, somebody will take a mile. That if we give it up, we will never get back what we've had. And sometimes that's legitimate. I understand. And I realize that in, in a sense that is uh, just, it is uniquely American. Where we have the greatest freedoms that anyone has ever known. And sometimes we can start to lose what that may mean. And I'm here to tell you, though, be careful. Because any fear that you have, if you're not careful, will enslave you. Will we'll take away the peace that is part of Christmas. Will take away the hope that one has. Will take away life. Zach Williams has a newer song out titled Fear is a Liar. Where, if you heard it, it was on repeat for me this morning as I was finishing up. Where he says these words in his course, fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath. He will stop you in your steps. He will rob you of your rest. He will steal your happiness. Because fear is a liar. And we as Christians are immune to fear. The two fears that I mentioned, I've seen it in good Christian godly people. And sometimes we will pit one against the other. But I think we need to be reminded of Christmas. We need to be reminded of, of where Christmas stands. And I will tell you, fear is a part of the Christmas story. And it's okay at times that you are afraid. See, because the Christmas story, as we will see with the messengers of Christmas, they, the people that encountered Christmas that first time, they were afraid. And rightfully so. They weren't said, oh, 
uh, you know, for you. You know, they weren't criticized for their faith and their, their fear, but they were given an overcoming of their fear. And so, I want us to look at the essential characters of Christmas, the messengers of Christmas. They're one of those that a lot of times we think of the background. And these are the angels themselves. The candle of peace is also the candle of angels, according to some traditions that celebrate Passion. A lot of times we think of angels and, and we think of things, uh, you know, and those of you online, I'm walking down the street, but we think of, you know, these angels here. I won't break there anymore, you know. Uh, we, we think of angels here, you know, like this one. Oh, nice, cute, cuddly, uh, you know. I like, there were cute angels in the living nativity yesterday, you know. My daughter happened to be one of them, so don't argue with me, you know. Uh, you know, she's nice and sweet, but she'll get you, you know, and leave you. But we think of it as, as cute and cuddly. But the reality is, is if you look at what Scripture says about angels, angels were not the ones you wanted to come into contact with. That there's, we don't know a whole lot about angels. We know they were cherubim and seraphim. They had more than two wings. They guarded the presence, the glory of God in the Ark of the Covenant. You weren't just walking in there and saying, howdy duty. Okay? There's only two angels mentioned in all the scripture. We have Michael, who's an archangel, who's a fighter, a warrior, and Gabriel. Gabriel is one of the main characters of Christmas. And so, as we look at the uh, Christmas story, we need to be reminded that these angels were associated with judgment and battle. See, so when we read of these messengers showing up, maybe, you know, with Mary, as she is proclaimed, the angel went to her, and this is Gabriel. The angel goes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then we read, Mary was greatly troubled. That's because in her culture of those days, it wasn't an angel of, I want to give you a hug. It was, oh my goodness, judgment has come upon my house. Oh my goodness, what have I done? What is going on around me? And then she has to be told, do not be afraid, you have not favor with God. Fear was there. I would, I would submit to you, this was a healthy sense of fear because she was coming into contact with the messengers, with the, the people that surrounded God and were part of his council. This wasn't just meeting a fellow human being, though that sometimes happens in Scripture. And then when we pick up the words of Luke, chapter 2, we read these words. The angel, an angel of the Lord, verse 9, Luke 2, 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. The, the ones where the cherubim and the seraphim probably would have guarded at the first temple. Okay, so this isn't just a little bit of light. This is a petrifying, terrifying light in the middle of darkness. The angel of the Lord, some believe was Gabriel himself, and do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will be caused great joy for all people. They were terrified. 
you know, as you may remember me preaching and hearing pastor from others, this idea of they weren't just terrified, it was every ounce of their being is shaking because, oh my goodness, angel. And, 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 and they know, because at this time, there was lots of beliefs about angels, and all of them meant battle, meant war, meant judgment. There was not grace to be had when you face an answer. And then if that wasn't terrifying enough, verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts throughout all of scripture almost, Whenever you see heavenly hosts with angels, it is a new clerk translated. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly army appeared. And the shepherds aren't just thinking, oh my goodness, something neat has happened. Oh my goodness, the end of the world is here. Because the angels have come back. They're here. Now you see why they're terrified. And your fear is, can be part of the Christmas story. Your fear may be there. We need to see our fear how it is. And hear these Christmas messengers time and time again. They, they remind us, I think, at the Christmas story, they remind us of this. The words of Paul in Ephesians, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You don't send angels if it's just a normal, everyday occurrence. Throughout all of the Old Testament, when an angel appeared on the scene, God was doing something different. And I believe every time you see an angel on the scene, we're seeing the cosmic battle start to play out before us. Because there is a battle. But our battle is not against one another. It is not against those that believe and not believe. It is about the forces that are behind there. So no wonder there's a heavenly host on that first night. Because there is, and even yet this day, a struggle. But yet, even though that is true, and it is still true today, I have a belief that the supernatural is not so much out there, it's just behind a small veil. Scripture seems to indicate it's closer than we would like to admit. We don't always get it. Why Hebrews says, entertain strangers, because you may entertain an angel and not know it. And I've had times where, to my own fear, I've seen some of the supernatural. It's not a pretty sight. I disagree with our brothers and sisters who look for the supernatural around every bush. Because that's not something you want to mess with. The only reason you and I can, can handle anything supernatural is because Christ said that you are in me, you have my power. But sometimes we go picking a fight, we ought not to be picking. Jesus didn't go around picking fights with demonic spirits, the unclean spirits. They picked a fight with him. Sometimes, I think we as the church need to understand that we don't have to pick a fight with evil forces in order to do our job, to be the messengers. 
Every time, though, and this is true of all scripture, when an angel comes on the scene, God's going to do something different, and he overcomes the fear you have and I have by grace. Grace again and again and again. Mary, you are highly favored by God. Truth, you are favored by God. To the shepherds, have no fear. I bring you good news. Because if you think judgment's coming, you may think of good news. Back to trend one. Well, I'll get back to what I'm thinking in just a minute. But good news. And it'll be great joy. Woo. This is going to be good news that I'm going to be happy about. Grace overcomes fear. Will you take your fear to the one who is full of grace? Or will you take your fear somewhere else? The fear you and I have this Christmas must be dealt with the one who is full of grace and truth, who is hope, who is peace, who is love, who is the Lord. And we can't miss that. But grace upon grace, we read other times when the angels show up, you know, like in, in Matthew with uh, Joseph, we read that the angel of the Lord came to him in a vision and reminded him of grace. He skips the angel, probably Gabriel, in my opinion. He says these words, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Why? Because there's been grace given to Mary and grace given to you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and beyond. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? It means God is saved. He goes on to say, and this took place to, to be reminded of the prophet Isaiah that Emmanuel has come. Grace. God has shown up. Do you need grace this morning? Who do you know that needs grace this morning? There, there was the intention that we named Eliana, Eliana Grace. One, well, in hopes that she'd be graceful. Some days the verdict is out. Other days, I mean, the girl just will melt your heart, unless you're her brother. And then not as much. <laughs> right inside? Yeah. But her name means God has answered, and not just God has answered, but God has answered with grace. And that's the grace Zachariah and Elizabeth were given. When Gabriel shows up there, okay, and he doesn't believe, how do I know? Your prayers have been answered with grace. You get a boy. Grace upon grace. Do you need grace? This morning. And then the message of Christmas. Luke chapter 2. This is the only place in all of Scripture that we have three titles wrapped together. Now think of this. If you look at the, at, and I would encourage you to do that, and if you get the devotions, which should be online later today or on your handout, 
you will, you will interact with the Christmas story because if we see the message of the angel, we get a theology of who Jesus is that does not appear anywhere else. We get a message that the rest of Scripture will, will flesh out. But here is their message that Jesus is a Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord who is God. Here's the words of Luke chapter 2. They don't, these words don't appear together anywhere else. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He, the Savior, is the Messiah. He, the Savior, is the Lord. And when you start to put that in, with what he says to Joseph, to Mary, and to others. He is Emmanuel. God is with us. Savior, Messiah, Lord. What are you most afraid of this morning? Do you need a Savior when you're here this morning? Do you need a Messiah, the promised one, to come in the midst of your fear this morning? You need to have a new Lord because if we understand who this baby that was born in the manger that these fearful angels proclaimed about, we would understand the words of Jesus himself. Don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul. Don't fear the one who can take away your freedom, but fear the one who gets true freedom that you don't miss it. And that's the message that we have. Where is your fear? I will submit to you this morning that we need to regain the sense of the fear of the Lord this morning. Proverbs says it is the beginning of all wisdom. But do you even fear God? Have we sanitized unintentionally the Christmas story so much that when we think of angels, we think of few cuddly two-winged angels instead of the ones that, pro that protected the glory of God. We forget the ones who pronounced judgment. We forget about the angel in the Garden of Eden that was solely there with a sword of fire so that no one would pass by again. Do, do we understand how Christmas was that cosmic battle being played out on our behalf? So that we go, wow. If this baby, born in the manger, had a host of army angelic beings proclaiming peace on earth, our betters are in fear, this Savior, this Messiah, this Lord. Yes, cute and cuddly in the manger. But as we prepare for the second advent of the Lord, if you remember uh, the words of Revelation 1, the Jesus that comes back is in, in cuddly. And the point of part of that is for us to realize that we need to have the fear of the Lord within us. You see, one way to tackle fears is to find something you're more afraid of. Because whatever is here isn't going to be that fearful anymore. And isn't that what, what I think the Christmas story is saying? Hey, look, you can fear everybody around you. There's a terrible king named Herod in the Christmas story. You can fear him, or you can have a greater fear than the Savior. 
And so I want you not only to regain the sense of fear of the Lord, I want you to respond to God's grace this day. Are you afraid? Good. Every person of Christmas is praying. I didn't mean because they understood that we don't. Or you can take the Lord because you're going to first get grace. You're going to get grace. You're going to get truth there too. There's, there's truth here, but if you notice time and time again, when God shows up in those early pages, we are given the message of grace. When someone comes to Jesus later on and, and they're hurting and they're afraid, he gives them grace first. The woman caught the adultery, the man that was lame, the man that was born blind. Grace. So, let me ask this then. When people see Christians coming, do they see us as people of grace or people of judgment? What do they see first? It's not that we can't call a spade a spade is the same with God. We can't, it's not that we deny sin. We don't deny any of that. But do they know us first as someone who will beat them up with judgment or someone who will say, hey, there's a God of grace. Fear not, for I bring you good news. But where you are today doesn't have to be where you stay. I know in this time of years I've been around long enough to know that we, we sometimes can get upset. We will say things like, I just want to keep Christ in Christmas, right? I'm not concerned with that. In fact, if I understand our world well enough, I expect the world not to keep Christ in Christmas. Because they're not people of Jesus. I picked up an email just this morning that solidified some of my thinking. And in the title of, of the article was, you know, why should we as Christians be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians? But we do it all the time. I can't believe how bad the world is. Why would you expect it to be good? I'm less concerned about keeping Christ in Christmas as I want to keep Christ in the Christian. We can be all about Christmas, but forget Christ in us. The Christ in Christian. See, the early church for about 500 years didn't celebrate Christmas. They weren't worried about keeping Christ in Christmas. They were more worried about keeping Christ in the Christian, the Christ follower who says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Do you need peace? I know the Prince of Peace. Do you need love? I know the source of love. Do you need hope? I know the one that was hope in the midst of darkness. Do you need joy, which is the pink candle? I have the one who originates joy. And sometimes when we're afraid of losing what we may have had, or maybe the world won't go back to what we know it, we start to let Christ out of us. This Christmas, if you are a Christ follower, maybe you need to be afraid of the one who can give you true love. Who will convict you throughout all of Scripture? And this this is always kind of dealt uh, partially with me. I don't, this is one of my fears. But I have to be honest this morning. 
throughout all of Scripture, the harshest words within Scripture were not for those outside of being God's people. It was for those who were to be God's people. Jesus' harshest words were not to those who didn't know who he was. It was for those who were to have figured him out because they had the understandings of the truth of Scripture. And I wonder if in these past 20 months or so, what we have started to see is we have forgotten the Christ of the name. We let our fears creep in and overtake where we forget there is one who is our Savior, who is our Messiah, who is the Lord. And so I ask that you regain that sense of fear, that you respond to God's grace, and that as much as it depends on you, teach Christ for the Christian. And that's why we come to the table this morning. As we transition into this moment of communion, as we transition to this table, see, if I remember God's grace, then I don't have to worry about when I come to this table, am I going to hear words, you're not good enough, because this table reminds me, yeah, you're right, I might not be good enough, but in Christ I am good enough because of who Christ is. Because Christ has set me free. Because he died in my place. There isn't judgment at this table. But Paul also says, don't take it to this table just as we would make it over in our house really good. Alright? Just kind of lay back and no, it doesn't mean anything. There, there is a place where we need to understand that this table matters. It's a proclamation that I am a Christian, so I say I want Christ and me. And then do we live out that message of Christ? When people see you coming, do they fear judgment? Or do they go, I might still be scared, I don't know what they say, but the word pronounce grace upon them? The grace of the Lord? The grace that all can receive? But behold, today, I bring you good news of great joy, for there is a Savior, who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. And you proclaim Jesus the Savior, Messiah, the Lord. And so this table is for you, wherever you may be. Those of you watching at home, you can find your own cracker and juice or water, or whatever you may want, to proclaim the goodness, the grace of God, that He is the Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Again and again and again. And so I ask that we go forward 